0: Very good, very good. If you have your copy of the scriptures, um, believe it or not, we are going to finish up Paul's letter to the Ephesians today. Um, By my count, we've spent about 11 Sundays talking about six chapters in the book and letter to the Ephesians, and today we're going to wrap it up. Um, together. You know, we live in a world, as, as Paul was praying, uh, leading us in prayer this morning, we live in a world that um, is not doing very well right now. Not just in the United States, but all throughout the world. Um, the scriptures tell us that there will always be wars and rumors of war. And we see today in our world nation fighting against nation. People groups fighting against people groups. Cultures fighting against cultures. Neighbors fighting against neighbors. And sadly, we often, we can also see, maybe not often, but we also can see churches fighting against churches, and even members of the same church fighting against their brothers and sisters who fill the pew, who study the Bible together. There are battles everywhere for us, not just here, but around the world. We have some friends that... um, are are, uh, in um, Uganda that Linda has met, a pastor and his wife, and we are in contact with them. They uh, have a small little church there, but things are kind of falling apart in Uganda. The church has been attacked. Innocent people who just want to live their lives are finding themselves um, removed from their homes. Under battle, under the threat of death, there are those who have lost their lives in this battle. Battles are real. We may feel safe in Huron, but battles are real. They're happening around us. The church, though, you and I, as the body of Christ, are given a unique uh, place to fight one battle. Just one. We are created as followers of Jesus. We are created, created as the church, as those called out to fight one battle. And that is the spiritual battle. We're not called to fight against each other. We're not called to fight within our communities. We're not called to uh, fight in our nation. We are called to be involved in the spiritual battle of God's kingdom against Satan's kingdom. We are fighting in God's army, as we sang today, onward Christian soldiers. We are soldiers in God's army. And so, to look at that, to see what God has to say, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're starting at verse 10. Let me read for you this passage, and then let's see uh, if we can uh, dig a little deeper for us. Finally... Paul's wrapping things up now in his letter. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. Having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness that give of the, given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which with you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that my words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Titus, our beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to you, brothers, and love with faith, and from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to you to all who love the Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Put on the armor of God, Paul declares. It's interesting to note that back in uh, Isaiah 59, Isaiah writes the word of God, and and God is speaking, and he says, I put on... The helmet of salvation. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. You see, when we're called to put on the armor of God, it is saying to us that you are wearing the armor that God wears. It's not that God has set a set of armor over here shields and helmets and swords and shoes. But we, in fact, come into the very uh, work of God, wearing his armor, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. We are given power to stand. Power not for impressive acts, but power for obedience. God gives us his armor. God gives us his power so that we can obediently follow him and so that we will be able to stand against uh, the evil forces in our world today. And note, though, that, that Paul says these forces are not political ones, not national ones. But they're spiritual ones. The church has been given the task to enter into the spiritual battle. And it's not easy, it is, in fact, a battle. Our enemy is very real. Now, we may think that, well, Jesus died on the cross and he defeated Satan and death, and he did do that. But we also see from Scripture the very uh, reality that Satan is still at work in the world today. He is still working to try to turn the hearts of people away from God. And he does that in all sorts of ways, Now, let me be clear. I'm not saying that there is a demon behind those Christmas trees over there. I don't think there's a demon behind every bush. I don't believe that we can say, as the old comedian Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. No, I don't need the devil to invade me to help me do evil. I do evil pretty well just on my own. Thank you very much. I am a sinner saved by grace, but I still sometimes find myself sinning. That's why we need to confess our sins to God. The scriptures even go as far as to say we are to confess our sins to one another Linda was meeting with um, a, a lady from the, from Mount Olivet and she's, Linda's going to be was asked to be part of their women's conference in March. So they were meeting yesterday and talking and this lady and um, also spent some time on the mission field. And uh, she went to um, uh, uh, I just slipped my mind now. Linda can call on the phone and tell me what it is, but she went to a church there somewhere in Asia, and at the end of the service, they dimmed the lights, and everybody got in pairs, and she could see the people's mouths moving as they talked face-to-face, nose-to-nose, and she asked uh, the person who was from that church that had, uh, was uh, sitting next to her, saying, What are they doing? And she said, They're confessing their sins to one another. Everybody had a prayer partner, a partner that they met with weekly, and they would sit face to face and say, This is what I struggled with this week. And the other person could offer not only a listing ear, but the reminder that our sins are forgiven in Christ. And if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. That is what has been given to us in a relationship with Christ, and it's that which we bring uh, into the battle. Satan is there at work, working against God and we have the responsibility to fight against him. Verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Uh, The word um, can also mean we do not struggle against flesh and blood. But our battle is very real. Twice we are told to put on the armor of God. We are to fight against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's where the big battle is being done. That's why we pray for the salvation of our family members and of our friends, our classmates, our co-workers. Because the battle is a spiritual battle but it is very real. Just because we cannot see it does not mean that it is not happening. We fight against rulers and against authorities and against cosmic powers not of this place, but those things that are being done in the heavenly places. We are given the armor of God. If the saying goes, clothes make the man or make the person. What you wear defines who you are. As we put on the armor of God, it defines us to be like Jesus. As we read back in Ephesians chapter 5 that we are to be imitators of God. And here we are told to put on the armor of God. It is a gift to us, and it also is a task for us. These words that are shared here are imperatives. Paul says, this is a must. It's not an option for you. And what's interesting to note here is that Paul uses uh, the plural form throughout this, This is not just about you as an individual that you are to put on the armor of God. But this this is about, Paul is talking to the church. He says, church, put on the armor of God. Dress yourself in God's armor, Church of Bethesda. For we as a church fight against principalities and powers. We have a responsibility to move into that battlefield. And Paul will say here, he says, we are to pray at all times, with all supplication, making supplication for each other, for all the saints. And Paul says, and, and pray for me too that I may boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is for us, for the church. I can imagine, I can uh, have a vision of, a hope for, a dream of, The body of Christ coming together in unity for prayer. Now, I know, well, I hope you all do. I hope you all pray. I hope you all talk to God on a regular basis, not just at that five minutes in the morning when you get up and five minutes at night when you go to sleep, but you're in constant communion with God throughout the day seeing God at work, but I would love to see the church gather together, seeking God's face, doing battle together for the salvation, for the souls of people, for the defeat of Satan's kingdom. We have a few faithful people that meet here on Wednesday night. There's six of us, eight of us that pray for you as the church. But it should become for us on Wednesday night a battle zone. It used to be that the church, one of the church's main reasons of being together was for prayer. They would come together for the preaching of God's word and for prayer. And out of that preaching of God's word and that prayer came that fellowship that we have. We are united in heart because of God's word and because of prayer. So I encourage you, church, to be a praying church. I have a a vision. Dream of the church coming together for prayer. I was part of a prayer meeting once uh, that took place um, at the stadium in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, where um, the twins played. And we gathered people from um, all sorts of churches and religious, not religious experience, but Christian experience. All gathered together, and we sang together, and we heard the word of God together. But we had got there for one key purpose, and that was to pray. And we had various people come to the podium and pray. There were thousands of people there. Kind of exciting to see God's people, thousands of them, gathered together. But one of the leaders of prayer did something that uh, I felt very uncomfortable with. He said, now I want you to all, as individuals, pray as the church, and I want you to pray out loud. Now, I don't know if there were people there from every nation, language, tribe, and people, but there were people around me that I know were not from my religious experience, There were people there from different nations, and I said to myself as a pastor being there, this is not going to work. Everybody praying at the same time out loud is just not going to work. But we did it. He had a stand, and he says, I want you to pray what's on your heart to God. And we prayed. And I stopped praying for a moment and I can honestly say from the depth of my soul I've never heard a more unified voice than thousands of people praying different things but to the same God. And I think that's a little bit of what heaven is going to be like. As Revelation tells us there's all people every language every tribe all singing together and I'll guarantee you this it's probably not english or swedish it's a unified voice together that is the power of prayer in the church and I take a little aside there to say prayer is incredibly important for us as the church. It's important for me as an individual, but it's important for us as the church to meet together to pray. you're not doing anything on Wednesday night, I invite you to come and pray with us. We're in a small little room over here, but I guarantee you if more than enough people show up, we'll find another room. We'll take over the sanctuary or something. So let's pray. I mean, not now. I still have stuff to talk about. I got a couple minutes. So he tells us to put on the armor of God. And these things are almost self-explanatory. We're to put on truth. We're to have righteousness. Our feet are moving forward by the gospel of peace. You see, we are peacemakers. We mentioned it this morning in the ladies' Sunday school class that Lynn has been teaching and um, said that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, right at the beginning, he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the sons of God, the children of God. It's the mark of the church. We are peacemakers. We're not here to stir things up. We're here to bring peace in our world, as we talked about back in Isaiah a couple weeks ago. We are to go forward in peace. We are to take up the shield of faith. We need to exhibit faith in our lives, faith in the person of Jesus Christ. And it is our faith in Jesus Christ that extinguishes the arrows of the evil one. We are safe in Jesus. We are his people. He stands as a shield around us. And we're to take on the helmet of salvation. We live in a relationship of salvation with him of redemption. And then it says, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, Interesting uh, word chosen by Paul. He doesn't use logos, which is often what we translate word. He uses rema, which is translated the utterances of or the statement of. We are, it's not about just reading God's word in a situation. It's being so in tune with the spirit that we will speak the very word of God in a situation. We speak God's statements. I know people who have fought against um, the demonic And they somehow feel that if we just read enough verses, it doesn't matter what we read, it's going to shut the demon up. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the uh, statements of God, declaring the very statements of God. And then praying at all times. Keeping alert in our prayer, persevering in our prayer. I've heard stories of battlefields, even where our uh, American soldiers, which some of you possibly were, who fought, and you realize that you just didn't make your first stand win your first battle, and then turn your back and walk away and say, I've done it. I, I did those steps that I was told to do. No, the army kept pushing forward to victory. They had perseverance. And it's not for us to pray one prayer, but to uh, show perseverance in our praying. To get on our knees. I mean, I think literally it's good for us to humble ourselves and get on our knees and pray. We did that once, or I've done it a few times, I guess. Uh, as a pastor in our previous churches, I'd sit in the front row. And the guy would get up to lead the prayer for the day, and I would get on my knees at the pew. And people wondered what happened to the pastor. Some of them said, I thought you passed out. We lost vision of your shiny head. But the scriptures tell us to get on our knees and pray. I don't think it says that without reason. That we humble ourselves before God. We fall prostrate to him, before him, in our prayer. Remembering who we are and who he is. It's the battle we are called to fight. And notice again in verse 21 that um, Paul has not been fighting alone. Titus, fought with Paul. He is named for a reason. He has traveled with Paul and Paul's companions for quite a while. Acts 20 shows us that he is with Paul. We know that Paul has written this letter to Ephesus from Rome, and he's in prison, and This brother is with him. He is a bond slave. He is a faithful minister. He's going to be the bearer of the letter. And even Paul in 2 Timothy talks about him bringing the letter to the Ephesians. To be the presence of Paul before them. And we need brothers and sisters like that who will help us take the message to places that we cannot necessarily go. High school students, junior high students, um, most likely... Well, at least in California, I don't know how it is in South Dakota. I am not a welcome person on your campus. I just can't show up. I have to be invited. I have to have a reason to be there. But you're there already, you can pray already some of you will say, no, it's against the law for me to pray in school. No, it's against the law for you to stand up and lead the classroom in prayer. But you can pray all day. Nothing stops that. We need you as a church to be praying for your campus while you're on your campus. And that's true for those of you who are in the workplace. I can't always be in that place, but you can be in that place. Praying for them. Doing the spiritual battle. I want to close with taking you to one portion of scripture. Paul writes to the Ephesians probably in, oh, probably 66, 67 A.D., But that's not the last time Ephesus is mentioned. Ephesus is also mentioned at the turn of the century. Maybe 40, 45 years later, Ephesus is mentioned in Revelation chapter 2. What happens to Ephesus 45 years later? When John uh, sees this Revelation from Jesus. Revelation chapter 2 tells us about Ephesus. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write this. The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven lampstands. Now, we could get into great detail here, but let's just say that that's Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus speaks and he says, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear those who are evil. They remembered chapter 6, verse 10 and following. They fought. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. False. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. They have persevered. But this I have against you. Even given all the stuff that they have done, Jesus said, This I have against you. You have abandoned your first love you have abandoned the love you had at first remember therefore from which you have fallen and repent and do the works that you did first if not i will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent yet this is but yet you have uh, yet, yet this you have excuse me you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which i also hate He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. It harkens all the way back to Genesis 1. Church of Bethesda, of Huron. Let's not just do the works of God for doing the works of God, but let us remember that he calls us to love him. To love him like you did at first. To not give up that love for the work of the kingdom. To be in love with God, to be excited about God. Those of you who um, are married, been married, those of you who have been in a dating relationship, want to get married, do you remember when you first fell in love? Man, you know they say love is blind? I was deaf and dumb too. Man, I just thought I had the best thing. I loved Linda. Linda. Was it perfect love? No, but it was enthusiastic love. I just always wanted to be with her, and she lived two hours away, and I would make that trip back and forth because I loved her. There's a danger that love gets old. You get used to it. And I think sometimes it's good to remember those early days and enthusiasm. The joy. I was raised in a Christian home. There's not a day that I don't that I live that I didn't believe in Jesus. But in my freshman year in high school, on Good Friday, I was at a concert, a Christian concert, and the speaker of that concert called us up to make a decision for Christ, and I went forward. I said, I'm going to make this mine. And it was at that point that I fell in love with Jesus. I was excited My life was being changed right before it. At the end of that, I had a buddy take me back home. And he dropped me off at our driveway. And I ran up and down the street for about 10 or 15 minutes. Praising God. 11 o'clock at night. Telling Jesus I loved him. This was life changing for me. I was excited. I was thrilled. I remember going in the house and waking up my mom, her looking at me and saying, Are you okay? I remember telling her, I've never been better. I love Jesus. I think she patted me on the shoulder. She said, isn't that sweet? You know? Now go to bed. I remember those days. But I can't remember the last time I ran up and down my street praising the name of Jesus and telling him I loved him. But maybe it would be a good thing for me to do. Don't forget your first love. And if Jesus isn't your first love, today would be a good day to fall in love with him. Maybe again. Maybe for the first time. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is Bethesda. MB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy.org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.